Acts chapter 8, verses 26 through 40. Now an angel of the Lord said to Philip, Rise and go toward the south to the road that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. This is the desert place. This is a desert place. And he rose and he went. And there was an Ethiopian, a eunuch, a court official of Candace, queen of the Ethiopians, who was in charge of all her treasure. He had come to Jerusalem to worship and was returning seated in his chariot. And he was reading the prophet Isaiah. And the spirit said to Philip, go over and join this chariot. So Philip ran to him and heard him reading Isaiah the prophet and asked, do you understand what you are reading? And he said, how can I unless someone guides me? And he invited Philip to come up and sit with him. Now the passage of scripture that he was reading was this. Like a sheep, he was led to slaughter. And like a lamb before its shearer is silent. So he opens not his mouth. In his humiliation, justice was denied him. Who can describe his generation? For his life is taken away from the earth. And the eunuch said to Philip, About whom, I ask you, does the prophet say this, about himself or about someone else? Then Philip opened his mouth, and beginning with the scripture, he told him the good news about Jesus. And as they were going along the road, they came to some water, and the eunuch said, See, here is water. What prevents me from being baptized? And he commanded the chariot to stop, and they both went down into the water, Philip and the eunuch, and he baptized him. And when they came up out of the water, the Spirit of the Lord carried Philip away, and the eunuch saw him no more, and went on his way rejoicing. But Philip found himself at Azotus, and as he passed through, he preached the gospel to all the towns until he came to Caesarea. Faith comes from hearing, and hearing the word of Christ. Let us pray. Our Heavenly Father, how can we know unless someone guides us in this word? We ask that you would provide for us the same that you provided for this Ethiopian eunuch, that you would provide the Holy Spirit, and that you would provide clarification to us what your words mean and how it is centered on the good news of Jesus Christ. We pray that this would be so this day in the preaching of your word. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. Right off the bat, I want to acknowledge um, or clarify to any of you all who may be reading from a version as other than the ESV. How many of you are not reading from the ESV Bible right now? Well, so everybody is reading. Oh, you're not. You're not reading from the ESV. ESV, but it was different than what you were reading, so apparently not. Okay, (laughs) it may be. I don't know. There's. I think there's two particular versions of the ESV. Maybe it's an older. I'm not sure if they they're different. uh, The two different um, dates on that. Well, for some of you, that if you would have been reading from anything other than the ESV, if you would have been reading from the KJV or even the NASVB or some other particular versions, um, there was a verse. So if you look down at your Bible right now, if you have an ESV, uh, look at verse 37. How many of you have found verse 37? Nobody should if you have an ESV because there is no verse 37. Um, It is absent in the ESV. ESV. And the reason why for that is because a lot of most of our English translations come from the KJV. The KJV was based upon what they call the Textus Receptus, the text received, which was the Greek um, translation of the scripture that was available at that time. And then the widespread copies of that is what was the first. Primary, most of the past, most of the Bible translations were based upon, which is 
was used off of what is called the majority text, which was based upon the, the, some of the oldest um, copies of the scripture that we have, the, the biggest bulk of them. I guess when you say majorities, there's a lot of them out there, a lot of different copies of the scripture, and they look at the oldest that they can find in majority, and they made a conclusion that there should be verse 37. But there's a thing called critical text, which is looking for the oldest copies of the scripture, and in the oldest copies of the scripture, there is no verse 37. So let me repeat that and try to explain that. Basically, you have three originals that we work on. Not originals. We don't have any originals. But when it comes to what we base our translations of scripture from, you have the Textus Receptus, which was what the King James Version translated from the Greek to English, mainly the New Testament in translation. And then you have a bunch of other texts out there, and they looked at the majority of what's out there, and they said, well, in the majority of them, there should be a particular inclusion of, if you believe with all your heart, you may, when he was responding to the eunuch. And the eunuch replied, I believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. The oldest versions of the text that we have in the original languages, is what I meant to say, does not have that particular interaction between Philip and the Ethiopian eunuch. You might find in other places throughout the scripture, in Matthew and some other places, where there are missing verses. And the reason why they just skip the verse is because most people in English translations are based upon the KJV. And so the verses, instead of confusing people by having a different numbered configuration of the passages just it's just easier just to take it out so you have again the textus receptus the majority text which is the bulk and then you have the critical text which is the oldest and then when the criticism means that they want to be as critical as possible of what they think is from the most original writings of the scripture did i confuse everybody in that so the ESV goes with textual criticism, trying to be as authentic to the oldest as possible by not having that in there. You do not need to be alarmed because where those omissions are does not change a theological component of the scriptures. It's not like if we had that in there, or if we didn't have it in there, there would be a change in what we believe. The assumption is that the scribes that were copying the scriptures for clarification in this particular moment when thinking about baptism wanted people not to get confused that it was baptism that saved them, but that there had to be a profession of faith. Now, you could be you know, like, well, that sounds dangerous. Well, it is what it is when you look at all the particular copies that are out there. But... I was making the assumption that there may have been more people that would have seen that and said, whoa, he just skipped over a particular passage, and I didn't. It was not in that particular English translation. So moving on. As I mentioned earlier in the worship service, I said I believe that this has probably has become, through my study, maybe it's just the way I am, you know, you read something and you get more, most excited about what is fresh on your mind. I do think that this might be one of the best Advent passages that we could have to start the Advent season. Because in this particular story, the Ethiopian eunuch is a testimony to us of the great hope of the Savior Jesus Christ. It shows one who would be maybe the hungriest for a Savior that was promised in the Old Testament. Here we have, in this particular passage, we see Jesus continuing his great work through the Acts of the Apostles, through the building of the foundation of the church. We see three particular things that I want you to be thinking about as we go back through this scripture. One, Jesus has a plan. Jesus has a strategy or a commission for his church that he is fulfilling here once again in this narrative of the Ethiopian eunuch. And we see that it is a great plan that has a lot of intricate parts. Jesus, number two, has a delegation. 
He has a commission of people who are fulfilling his commission, a commissioner even, to bring about his plan. Now, some of you, if you were God, which is always a scary thought to even have that, that if any of us was God, may say, well, why can't we just fast track some of this? Why can't we just, boom, things happen? I remember thinking when I was a child and I was coming to acknowledge that there was something beyond myself and I realized that there's a conflict in the world between those who believe and don't believe, I remember even prayerfully thinking, and some of you may have had the same kind of mindset, God, why don't you just show up? Why don't you just appear? (laughs) Why don't you constantly have a voice going on from heaven and constantly be giving us some kind of sign that you exist so that the people who don't believe would just simply believe. How many of you have ever had that kind of thought? It's a a reasonable argument. But as we look at the scriptures, we may actually come to conclude that he is continually doing that. Even Romans says that we are without excuse because his creation tells us about his holy attributes. Now, that's hard for a, a mind of a child or even a mind of an adult to fully comprehend. But we too could be in a place now where we may be thinking, God, why don't you just show your hope? Well, he decides in his good providence that he is going to show it through the testimony of mankind through creation in miracles and signs in one particular way that he has decided to further his commission in the proclamation of his word is through the delegation of that authority and that power and that might through individuals through the church through angels through the holy spirit these are giving testimony of who Jesus Christ is. And whether we like the way that he has established his proclamation of who he is, we know, we can know from Scripture with all certainty that his way of doing things, his government of doing things, is to appoint people task, beings task. We have the angel of the Lord coming to Philip. We have Philip. We have the Holy Spirit, and we have the Ethiopian eunuch, who are all guides for us, for even one another, the angel going to the Philip, the Holy Spirit telling Philip, Philip talking to the Ethiopian eunuch, and then the Ethiopian eunuch being a testimony for us this day of the great hope that we can have in Jesus Christ. Thirdly, we see that Jesus has become the victory for an assembly of outcasts. Now, one of the things that I've mentioned in many sermons in the past, we want to be outcasts. Because if we do not recognize that we are outcasts, if we do not recognize our weakness, we don't get to be of the assembly of the Lord. It is in that particular place of recognition of our need for a Savior that allows us to be able to be a part of the assembly of outcasts. And we see in this particular passage, particularly, and maybe more fervently than some places anywhere else, or more vividly in some places anywhere else, that Jesus has become the victory for the assembly of outcasts. So first of all, we see that he has a particular plan. We see that he has a delegation. And we see that he himself has become the victory for an assembly of outcasts. So first of all, let's look at his plan. Let's go back to Acts chapter 1, verse 8. And remember what he said. Once he was getting ready to ascend into the right hand of God the Father, he said, But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, And you will be my witness in Jerusalem, in all Judea, in Samaria, and to the end of the earth. This particular narrative has been placed here by Luke 
a tremendous narrative to continue to show how God has set the stage of fulfilling his promises of what he has given and in this particular commission of what is going to occur. It's actually a proclamation. He's saying, I will, you will do this. I, the Holy Spirit is going to come upon you and you will be my witness. He's not even just you know, asking. He's saying this is going to happen. This is going to be the fulfillment of the furthering of my church. Your witness of who I am is going to go to Jerusalem, all of Judea, and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. In the previous narrative, we see that he was in Samaria. The Samaritans coming to know him. We see the story of one who had great captivity of the Samaritans, in darkness even, through Simon the the magician. And that was dissolved immediately at the proclamation of the gospel before them. And people came to believe and be baptized. And Simon the magician's power was nullified. Demonic powers being nullified. The promises of what God would say that he would do over Satan and his demons being proclaimed in the story of Simon the magician. Here we see tremendous fulfillment of Old Testament prophecy of what Jesus was going to do. His commission is being fulfilled in this narrative. Almost every single detail of the Ethiopian eunuch is a fulfillment of Old Testament prophecy. We also see in Acts 2, verse 38 through 39, this call that Peter gave to those who asked, what shall we do? Reminding you once again, he said, repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. For this promise is for you and for your children and for all who are far off. All who are far off. Everyone whom the Lord our God calls to himself. We are now beginning to see fulfillment of that particular promise that Peter proclaimed to the Jews that God is going to continue this promise to those who repent and believe, those who repent and are baptized. And it says this promise is for your children and for all who are far off, all whom the Lord calls to himself. You see here the Ethiopian eunuch traveling from Ethiopia to Jerusalem to worship the true God. We don't have a lot of precise detail about the Ethiopian eunuch and what was leading up to that, where his mind was beforehand, and what happened in Jerusalem. But we know that he is an Ethiopian eunuch, and we know that he was there to go to Jerusalem to worship. We know that something led him there. This is surely a fulfillment of what Jesus I mean, what Peter told us in Acts chapter 2. Well, let's go back. Let's go back even beyond the passage that was being read here. For your note, if you look in your side notes, you'll probably see that the Ethiopian eunuch was reading chapter 53 of Isaiah. But let's look at Isaiah 43 as we consider this great plan and commission of God in Isaiah chapter 43. And let's look at verses 3 through 7. In Isaiah, it reads, For I am the Lord your God, the Holy One of Israel, your Savior. I give Egypt as your ransom, Cush and Seba in exchange for you. Because you are precious in my eyes and honored, and I love you. I give men in return for you, peoples in exchange for your life. Fear not, for I am with you. I will bring your offspring from the east, and from the west I will gather you. I will say to the north, give up, and to the south, do not withhold. Bring my sons from afar and my daughters from the end of the earth, everyone who is called by my name whom I've created for my glory, whom I formed and made. In Isaiah, we see here this promise given to the people of Israel that Egypt, Cush, and Seba would be prizes for them 
in victory, in wartime victory. These were the enemies of God. If you know your Old Testament, you would understand that Cush is Ethiopia. That is the same word. In many cases, they interchangeable. A Cushite is an Ethiopian. And so God is telling that your enemies are going to be given over to your hands. And we see that there's actually conflict in Second Chronicles between the Ethiopians with the people of Israel. Turn there now, Second Chronicles chapter 16, verse 8. It says, were not the Ethiopians and the Libyans a huge army with, get this, very many chariots and horsemen. Yet because you relied on the Lord, he gave them into your hand. We see here that the Lord granted victory over the Ethiopians because they trusted in him. But then go to Psalm 68. Starting with verse 4. It says, Sing to God, sing praises to his name, lift up a song to him who rides through the deserts. And this is speaking of Jesus, speaking of the king, the true king. His name is the Lord, exalt before him, father of the fatherless, and protector of widows. In God, in his holy habitation, God settles the solitary in a home, he leads out the prisoners to prosperity. But the rebellious dwell in a parched land. In Psalm 68, we have a promise being given through the song and praise of the Lord. And this is great, Chuck and Kim, that there will be that he will be a father to the fatherless and protector of widows. It's God in his holy habitation. God settles the solitary in a home. He settles the one who is alone, who is separated from a place, a name within a home, a future, and a hope. The lonely, the psalmist says, that God will establish into a home, into a place. Skipping over to verse 31, it says, Nobles shall come from Egypt, Cush, Ethiopia, shall hasten to stretch out our hands to God. O kingdoms of the earth, sing to God. Sing praises to the Lord, Selah, to him who rides in the heavens, the ancient heavens. Behold, he sends out his voice, his mighty voice. Ascribe power to God, whose majesty is over Israel, whose power is in the skies. Awesome is God in his sanctuary, the God of Israel. He is the one who gives power and strength to his people. Blessed be God. The psalmist is seeing that God is going to bring these, even these nations, the enemy nations of God's people will be those who will stretch out their hands to God. And we see different times and places where that is even being fulfilled. Some of you may know the story of the Queen of Sheba visiting Solomon's greatness. And there's a lot of church tradition about what happened after that, what happened in Ethiopia, that the Ethiopians may have been a place for the worship of God even after that particular point. But we will see here in this particular narrative a true and full fulfillment and certain fulfillment of this particular promise that Cush will stretch out their hands in the worship of God. We see in the Old Testament that God has established a plan, a specific plan for these particular nations who are representations of God's fuller plan for the whole world. And he is making it occur in this very unique situation with the Ethiopian eunuch. Think about the circumstances here and how God has set this up. The Ethiopian eunuch, where was he moments before this particular scene? He was in Jerusalem. He was coming from Jerusalem, assumingly going back toward Ethiopia. That's the direction he was going in. And so he was in Jerusalem. Where are Peter and John and many of the disciples and the apostles right now? 
They're in Jerusalem. It says in the last narrative that Peter and John came from Jerusalem to go to Samaria, and then they went back to Jerusalem. Why didn't God just have the Ethiopian eunuch go to them in Jerusalem? Because he had a greater story for us. He had, he is setting up a stage. He was setting us up. He was setting the Ethiopian up. He was setting the whole church up in a tremendous story of his might. He had the Ethiopian be in a chariot, in a desert, in a dry and empty place. He gives us the characters of what's going to get Philip to go from Samaria to have an encounter with this Ethiopian. Ethiopians were known for their chariots. Israel remembered their mighty chariots. And as God would encourage them, he would say, my chariots are better than their chariots. I have more chariots than they have. Because they feared the Ethiopians' chariots. And so here was an Ethiopian on a chariot who was coming back. Again, we don't know. We would love to know the backstory, and we'll hopefully one day get to just ask the Ethiopian, well, tell us your, your history. <laughs> what was going on? We don't really need to know all that to understand what God is doing here. And he had him in a desert, an empty place. We see the commissioners that God has for this particular plan and that an angel, a messenger of the Lord, came to Philip. Philip, an appointed deacon, an officer of the church, was already preaching the gospel in Samaria. Is Now his mission work is to go into a desert in the middle of nowhere, which is like stories of Elijah, stories of Isaiah, even how there's this interaction being sent to go on this mission work to proclaim the wonder of the Lord. The scene of a desert also has for us an understanding of the condition of the Ethiopian eunuch. The Ethiopian eunuch, and I've given this much prayer this week about what kind of discretion to give this particular sermon today, but we can know this. Eunuchs had three particular components that were connected to them being a eunuch. One, they had a reputation or at least an identification of being those who were broken. Eunuchs were put in particular positions of authority under kings because they could be trusted. They could be trusted because they were not like regular men. The things that would cause temptations for regular men were not there. And so therefore, the eunuchs were in this position of being incomplete, being defiled even. If you look into Deuteronomy chapter 23, verse 1, you don't have to go there now. But you see that in the... My mind just went blank for a second. Hold on. So worship, uh, so the ceremonial, <laughs> the ceremonial laws of the Lord of the Lord's worship. They were not allowed. They were restricted because of their condition. That God was using them as a representation of the brokenness of mankind. It didn't matter how they became a eunuch or if it was just a position of office. It says that they were not allowed, whether it was by nature or by the hand of man, as Jesus mentions in Matthew, for eunuchs. They were defiled. They were broken. They were not allowed to be amongst the holy God. It was a representation that they were to be left outside, like those with leprosy. There was something that was not normative. Sin had an impact on their physical nature in position and identification that kept them outside of the assembly of the holy God. God used them to point out his holiness. He wasn't trying to just be hard on people. He was trying to teach us, teach Israel, and to teach us he is a holy complete and righteous God. 
With that came, secondly, shame and humiliation and loneliness. This was not just a condition, it was an identification, it was a title. This particular Ethiopian eunuch was known to be of the treasurer of Queen Candace, the queen of Ethiopia at that time. They were given that particular position for a reason, and it was a title, and it was known to other people who he was and his incompleteness. It was not a title that people would long to have. It was a lowly title, and with that came shame, came humiliation. And ultimately, because of that particular time, more so than today, unfortunately, There was no future hope on this earth that they would have children. If you go to Isaiah 53 where he was reading, the very next chapter is Isaiah 54. They didn't skip that one. Because in that particular chapter is about the barrenness of women. Talking about the hope of the barren woman. There is in this particular context a hope for the hopeless. And the Ethiopian eunuch not only had a brokenness about him, which was the defilement of the nature, the condition of sin upon mankind, he had humiliation and shame, and he had no future hope because he would not be able to have children. And he had the same kind of shame, the same kind of hopelessness that women who were barren felt was placed upon this individual and everyone that knew him knew that he was a broken and hopeless one. Last week, we talked about Simon the Magician. And we saw that it mentioned multiple times that he was great. He was lifted up. He, when he spoke to people, people were amazed and they paid attention to him. He had a name and a position and a place before those in Samaria that everyone thought that he was great so much that he was like God to them. But in that particular narrative, he was made low. His message was annihilated when it encountered the gospel. His position was annihilated and he was brought low. And even even after he said he believed and became baptized, he tried to buy the power of giving the Holy Spirit. And Peter made him even low again by saying that you have something wrong with your heart. It is not in the right place. We're hopeful that maybe he did transition and repent. The one who was exalted was brought low. And that is why I think this particular passage is a fulfillment of Mary's Magnificat. The great hope of Advent. I'm going to read that for you and look in the middle of that. It says, my soul magnifies the Lord. This is out of Luke chapter 1, verse 46. This is why I think this particular passage is an Advent passage. My soul magnifies the Lord. My spirit rejoices in God, my Savior, for he has looked on the humble estate of his servant. For behold, from now on, all generations will call me blessed. For he who is mighty has done great things for me in his holy name, and his mercy is for those who fear him. From generation to generation... He has shown strength with his arm. He has scattered the proud in the thoughts of their hearts. Simon, the magician. He has brought down the mighty from their thrones. Simon, the magician. And he has exalted those of humble estate. He has filled the hungry with good things. And the rich he has sent away empty. He has helped his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy as he spoke to our fathers, to Abraham, and to his offspring forever. There is not a person that I can think of. There's a lot of them. (laughs) So you all can contend with me. But when I think about the Ethiopian eunuch, 
in the place that his humiliation was shown to everyone he knew. He was not only one who was from another nation and a foreigner. Now, again, we don't know. He could have been of the Jews of the diaspora. I pronounced it wrong earlier. I was about to do it again. He could have been Jews that were established in Ethiopia. We don't know the full background there. But we know that those who were outside of Israel were typically to be considered to be the Gentiles. And we see that he had the greater burden of being a eunuch who was forbidden to be a part of the assembly. We don't know that if he went to Jerusalem, if he was rejected or if he was able to worship the Lord, was able to do anything there. He might have been coming back from Jerusalem after being refused. I don't know if he was able to encounter other Christians. I don't know any of that, but we do know from his word, from reading Deuteronomy and the overall passages of Isaiah, that they were people who were of a identification of hopelessness, of a humble estate, people who were crushed and cut off from the people of God. And it says here, as Mary is praising the Lord for the coming of the Savior, that he will exalt those of humble estate. And surely the Ethiopian eunuch was one of the most humble of the humble. But lastly, even more than highlighting the Ethiopian eunuch, we see here that the eunuch wants to know who is the Savior? Who is the prophet talking about? He has been doing what God has called his people to do. He is going to Jerusalem to worship. He has the great blessing of having the word of God before him. It was not unusual for people to read the scriptures out loud then. It was actually more complicated from what I understand to be able to even read. I can't imagine how hard it would have been to be, I mean, you know, just imagine trying to when you read when you're in a car, a regular car, but he was in this chariot. And from what I understand, he would have been, of, since he is of a, a noble position, there would have been someone driving the chariot for him. And he would have been reading and he'd been reading out loud. It, it took a lot of concentration to read even when sitting still. So reading out loud was not unusual. And so when God sent Philip to go, and Philip was running. I've always imagined the story of just the Ethiopian eunuch sitting like on the side of the road or in a parking lot at Walmart or something, <laughs> reading the scriptures. But they were going. The chariot was in movement. That's why it says that Philip was running. <laughs> you know, he wasn't just out for a jog after Thanksgiving dinner like you saw maybe a lot of people this morning doing. He was running after the chariot. And when he got to the chariot, he says, do you understand what you're reading? Now, this is telling us a lot of stuff. One, we know that he has the word of God, that he was devoted to the word of God. Here is one who is supposed to be hopeless, one who is supposed to be humiliated, one who is refused to be a part of God's people, and he was still pressing on. He still was having a hope. He wasn't going to let down. He had the word before him. He was reading it out loud. He was reading his hope right there, and he still didn't quite understand. And he was just waiting for the Lord to fulfill his promises, trying to understand how can this be fulfilled. If you look at Isaiah 53, In the beginning of Isaiah 53, it talks about how this Savior is going to be crushed for our iniquities. If you look at the Greek, the Hebrew root of that word crushed, both there in that passage, and look at the Hebrew root in the Deuteronomy 23.1 when it talks about the eunuch, it's the same root. That Jesus would be crushed. This one would be crushed. This Ethiopian eunuch was very familiar with this Hebrew word crushed. When it talks here in this particular passage, what he's reading, he's reading, it says, in his humiliation, justice was denied him. This Ethiopian eunuch understood humiliation. And here was the hope that was supposed to be for him and for all of God's people. 
And this one was going to be humiliated? It says here in verse, in Acts 8, verse 33, it says, Who can describe his generation? I had to study that for a long time this week. And there's three different interpretations of what that particular phrase must mean. One, it was saying something about the generation of people that were around this particular Messiah. And it was a negative connotation about what kind of people were around him. Most commentators say, nah, it doesn't really seem to to fit within the context of what's going on. The other interpretation of this particular passage of generation has to be with where did this, who was before? You know, what, where did this particular individual come from? Did this person, that, it, that this Messiah would come from a, a lowly estate from generations past? And doesn't really fit that. I mean, one, considering that he is of the line of David. And so we, even though he was from Bethlehem and he was from Nazareth, we, it doesn't still fit the context of what's going on in this passage. But one thing you see in the context of this passage, especially when you look at 54 and you look at chapter 56, that there was barrenness of not being able to have children. The eunuch was not able to have children. And here he's reading a particular passage about how the Savior would be humiliated and the Savior would not be able to have their own, his own earthly children because his life would be taken away. Actually, the Hebrew there would say because he would be cut off. His future would be cut off. The same Hebrew root that you see in Deuteronomy 23.1 when it's speaking of the eunuch. The eunuch felt this passage. He felt the humiliation. And he still longed to be before the Lord. He longed to be before the worship of the Lord. We don't know to what great lengths he went to to be those who sought to be a part of the assembly of the word. And then when the appointed person that God gave him to come and explain, he said, how can I know? And he invited Philip, to come and to teach him. Go back and read the call of worship in your order of worship today and look at what the, or the promise of the assurance of grace. He will teach us. He will guide us. He provided the Ethiopian the eunuch someone to teach him. This was a grace to God. How many of us go to great lengths we may feel like an outcast. We may feel like we don't quite understand everything that's in his word. But we recognize our lowly estate. We're so hungry for hope that we will obey the Lord and be at the door of the Lord. And when someone is willing to teach us, we will be humble enough to say, how can I know unless you teach me? Unless you show me the way. This is the humility that God is teaching us that we need to have to be able to enjoy the blessings of being a part of the assembly of God. And this Ethiopian eunuch, he had that humility. He lived that humility. In Isaiah 52, it ends that particular chapter on talking about how this Savior would sprinkle many nations. That word is used, sprinkle is used 24 times in the Old Testament about the cleansing of sin, about the cleansing of the defiled. That is why some believe that you should be baptized by being sprinkled. It is a component of understanding that we are being washed Surely the Ethiopian eunuch would have read 52 before he came to 53 and would have been thinking we are of a different nation that I will be cleansed by somehow or another I will be cleansed, I will be sprinkled.
in this one. Sorry. In this one who could not receive the mark of the covenant people. Or heard Philip repeat the words that Peter said and what to do. He said, repent and be baptized. This Ethiopian eunuch, along with Philip, as they're traveling along, sees the water. He's putting it all together now. That this Messiah is going to give a hope. I'm getting ahead of myself here. Because there's greater hope even in Isaiah 56. And he says, what's going to prevent me? What's going to restrict me? Now that you've told me about this hope in this Savior, and that to be a part of his people, we just have to repent and believe and be baptized, you're telling me that this mark of the covenant people is as simple as this broken body, this person who's considered to be humiliated and defiled without any hope, What's keeping me now? From receiving the mark. To be allowed to be among the assembly of God's people. And they stop the chariot. And they get down. And they go into the water. And he is baptized. And Isaiah, I've got to go back. I got ahead of myself here. If you go to Isaiah chapter 56. Actually, backing up just a little bit as it finishes up in 55. In verse 12, So for you shall go out in joy and be led forth in peace. The mountains and the hills before you shall break forth into singing, and all the trees of the field shall clap their hands. Instead of the thorn shall, instead of the thorn shall come up the cypress. Instead of the briar come up the myrtle, and it shall make a name for the Lord. An everlasting sign that shall not be cut off. Thus says the Lord, verse 1 of 56, Keep justice and do righteousness. For soon my salvation will come and my righteousness be revealed. Blessed is the man who does this. And the son of man who holds it fast, who keeps the Sabbath, not profaning it. And keeps his hand from doing evil. Let not the foreigner who has joined himself to the Lord say, The Lord would surely separate me from his people. And let not the eunuch say, Behold, I am a dry tree. For thus says the Lord, To the eunuchs who keep my Sabbaths, who choose the things that please me, and hold fast my covenant. I will give in my house and within my walls a monument and a name better than sons and daughters. I will give them an everlasting name that shall not be cut off. And the foreigners who join themselves to the Lord to minister to him and to love the name of the Lord and to be his servants... Everyone who keeps the Sabbath and does not profane it and holds fast my covenant, these I will bring to my holy mountain. I will make them joyful in my house of prayer. Their burnt offerings and sacrifices will be accepted at my altar. For my house shall be called a house of prayer for all peoples. 
the Lord God who gathers the outcast of Israel declares, I will gather yet others to him besides those already gathered. Jesus took on the Ethiopian eunuch's humiliation to the cross. He was crushed. He was crushed for our iniquities. His future would be cut off. But because of that, he is able to save the outcast of Israel. And when they came up out of the water, the Spirit of the Lord carried Philip away, and the eunuch saw him no more and went on his way rejoicing. A fulfillment of the Isaiah passage being testified and proclaimed there before Philip and to all of his people, to this generation today, there is a monument today in the proclamation of his word for this Ethiopian eunuch. A hope proclaimed that is better than sons and daughters. You have heard proclaimed in the proclamation of his word this day. You have seen that monument. Amongst the temple of God's people. Amongst the household of God. And we should rejoice. That there is a place at the table for the Ethiopian eunuch. There's a place at the table for each one of us. We want to be like Jesus. And being of that humble and humble, humiliated estate. You want to be like the Ethiopian eunuch. It's not something that we would desire, but we want to understand that our condition is the Ethiopian eunuch. And he felt it and lived it and understood it. But he understood that Jesus, that this Messiah that he did not know until this moment, took that for him and therefore exalted him. Brothers and sisters, do not take this table lightly. If you are of lowly heart, if you are of repentant place, if you can identify with the Ethiopian eunuch, know that Jesus took that to the cross so that he could take you to the table and give you a place of exaltation and a name that lasts forevermore. Let us pray.